Oh, what a day, what a day. <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. It's time. It's time for coffee with Scott Adams. Best time of the day. And not only is it the best time of the day, but this might be the best coffee with Scott Adams of all time. Now, I don't want to build it up too much. You might be disappointed. But I feel like we have all the raw ingredients for the best show ever. And if you would like to enjoy it to its maximum potential, well, it doesn't take much. All you need is a cup or a mug or a glass of tank or chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better, including your Zoom calls. It's called the Zoom simultaneous sip, and it happens now. Go. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel the goodness coursing through my veins. So, uh, I don't know where to start today. It's such a funny day, but I'm going to start with potential good news. All right? Oh, yeah, we'll get to Jeffrey Tubin. We'll get to that. <laughs> but let's start with some uh, potential coronavirus good news. So in uh, Reason, the publication Reason, they estimated in an article that it would cost around $20 billion to provide 330 million Americans, so basically all of us, with home test kits at a dollar apiece for weekly use. So it would cost you $1 a week to test yourself at home with these test kits. And it would only cost $20 billion. Now, if you had vaccines, or you knew the vaccines were coming, how does that make you feel? Well, it might make you feel optimistic. But a lot of you are thinking, I'm not sure I want to sign up for the vaccine first. Maybe, maybe you other people take the vaccine, and a couple of months from now, I'll, I'll check into it. So we have some bad feelings about vaccines that is neither conservative nor liberal. There's just a general uncomfortableness with rushing that sort of stuff, quite reasonably. But... Suppose I told you this, that the government had a plan that by a certain date, we would have enough tests that you could get a test once a week for a dollar, and everybody could do it as much as they wanted. It's just a dollar. How would that make you feel? If it, let's, let's say you knew that we could do that by end of the year. You'd be, you'd be pretty happy about that, because that feels like the end of the pandemic. Now, it wouldn't end it you know, with one crushing blow. But if everybody could get a test for a dollar once a week, you would really be putting your boot on on the bug at that point. So you might ask yourself, well, if it's only $20 billion, and in the context of spending literally trillions to get past this pandemic, $20 billion would be quite a, quite a deal. But I, I'm a little unclear about whether the FDA has approved this. So the article was a little unclear on that. So I need a fact check on that. I know that it was illegal to 
to authorize these, and there was some, some obstacle, I don't know what it was. But at the moment, there are a number of companies, say the article and Reason, including uh, biotech startups, uh, E25 Bio, uh, Aura, and then there's Aurasure and 3M, etc. So there are a bunch of companies making these tests. Here is how President Trump could win the election pretty much speed. He would need to produce a roadmap, very simple roadmap, that says, here's where we are, and by this date, we'll have uh, enough tests that every person can get a test for a dollar at home, and you'll have quick results. Now, if he told us that here's where we are, and here's the day that we'll have enough tests, I would feel like I saw the end of the pandemic. It might not be, but it would, it would certainly feel like it, wouldn't it? Now, how long would that take? And what would it take the government to get that done? Well, I would just like visibility on it. I would like to know, is there an FDA obstacle? If there is still a legal obstacle, when will that be removed? And how long does it take these companies to ramp up? Give us a little visibility into those companies and tell us how close they are. Just, just sort of put it on paper. One page, here's where we are, here's the date we'll have enough tests to test our way out. $20 billion. I would feel that that would uh, pretty much settle the election, really, because the coronavirus situation is going to uh, turn on how, you, how scared you are about the pandemic, and that would take a lot of the scare out of it. Um, apparently, there's uh, the new rule for the presidential debate is that the microphones will be turned off when it's not the candidate's turn to speak. What do you think that's going to do to President Trump's debate game? Well, your first impression might be, oh, no, he can't interrupt, and it's the interrupting that's sort of the fun part and gives it a life. But I would argue this is going to work in Trump's favor. Because what was the one big thing that people didn't like about Trump's performance last time? The people who are, you know, sort of would like to like him, you know, maybe they could be convinced, if they see him acting like a bully and, and talking over everybody and trying to dominate the debate, do they think better of him or do they think worse? I think that the people who are persuadable, that, that tiny little sliver of people who need a reason to go one way or the other, I feel like they would like Trump more if he doesn't even have the option of talking over Biden. Now, as Trump has said and other people have said, if you let Biden talk without interrupting him, maybe he'll, he'll have an own goal or he'll force himself into a gaffe and you'll be better off letting him talk. I think there's something to that. But beyond that, even a bigger deal is having Trump look more presidential just because he was forced to. <laughs> if you force Trump not to interrupt... He's just going to look more presidential. It's going to help him. So I don't know if the people who made that rule in the back of their mind were were hoping to handicap Trump, but I don't think that's what's happening. I think this is going to work to his favor. Um, You may recall that uh, early in the pandemic, I was saying don't judge who are the countries that are winners and who are losers because it's only halftime. And you can't say that the United States did worse than some other country if the game isn't over. 
Now, of course, it's not a game because it's life and death, but you understand the analogy. So we're seeing now a big uptick in some countries in Eastern Europe and South America where they're getting a second wave that's pretty bad. So we hope that it doesn't get worse, but I would remind you that we don't know how this ends. We still don't know why some countries do better. I mean, think of that. We still don't know why some countries do better. Now, uh, of course, you're going to say, well, it's masks or it's social distancing or whatever. And those things, I'm pretty sure, make a difference. But they don't seem to make enough difference to explain the massively different outcomes from different places. So it's still kind of a mystery what the big variables are. We know some of the small ones. All right. uh, I was trending on Twitter yesterday. Anybody notice that? So uh, I didn't see it myself, but a number of people told me that uh, I was trending, and I think that was after I appeared on MSNBC. Now, you might say to yourself, what? You were on MSNBC? Do they let people who support President Trump on MSNBC? I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, yes. Uh, Apparently, it doesn't happen that often, but I was invited on uh, Ari Melber's show, and I have to admit, I thought it was going to be contentious. I, I thought he was going to you know, try to embarrass me or put me in an awkward situation or uh, accuse me of being a racist for supporting the president or something. I didn't know how it was going to go. But it did not go that way at all. And I would say that uh, uh, Ari did a, uh, a great job of just you know, playing it right down the middle and It wasn't a biased interview in any way, Um, and he was very complimentary. So apparently he's read my books and had a good feeling about uh, at least my my other work. (laughs) So uh, it was very disarming to me as well, because I had in my mind, you know, sort of a a combat plan, and I thought, okay, as soon as the the bullets start flying, this is going to get good, and and I knew what I was going to do if it if it got uh, testy, but it never got testy. It just stayed friendly, which was uh, excellent because I think the country needs to see people getting along once in a while, right? Uh, uh, It was weird in one sense because uh, I was introduced with somebody else's work. I've never seen that before. Have you? Have you ever seen somebody introduced by showing somebody else's work who is a competitor to the person who's being introduced. So they started off by showing a clip of the movie uh, Office Space, which some have said is a ripoff of Dilbert because it came, uh, came into being at the time that Dilbert was becoming popular, which, which proved that there could be a movie on that topic, and then Mike Judge made one. Now, there's no indication that he was looking at Dilbert when he made it, but many observers say that it was, you know, at least a little bit uh, influenced <laughs> by Dilbert. Uh, so that was weird. I've never seen anything like that before, to use somebody else's property to introduce a t- somebody who competes with that property. It was strange. But they were very nice to me. They showed the, showed the clips and mentioned my book, etc. So here's where I ended up trending. Um, I didn't realize just how bad the silo was, the new silo, and how 
the people who watch MSNBC really, really don't know what the rest of the country is thinking. And while you know that intellectually, when you, when you see it in real life, it's still jarring, even though you sort of know it on, on some intellectual level. So um, I, I went through my explanation of what the election would look like, and the way I framed it was that people vote based on their fears, and that President Trump was working against his own re-election interests because he had solved some of our biggest fears. And I mentioned that I'm no longer afraid of ISIS, for example. I used to think about terrorist attacks all the time. And while, of course, there's always that risk, I don't think about it. It's not in my mind anymore. So I'm not afraid of ISIS. And that's, that's new within, I would say, within the uh, Trump administration. I also mentioned that when Trump is president, I'm not afraid of the economy melting down because there's good evidence to suggest that he's, a, he's a, the most capable hand for the economy. But then I also, just to be fair, said that if, uh, if President Trump loses the election, it'll be because of the coronavirus, because that fear is in our faces all the time. Every time you reach for your mask, you're, you're reminded of the coronavirus. And so the immediacy of it and the fact that it permeates just everything makes it our most important um, topic. And it's probably, objectively, it probably is the most important topic. And so um, I, uh, then I was asked what my prediction would be. And they had already shown my prediction from 2016, which I was right, that President Trump would be elected. Uh, and then I said, in my most confident voice, that as of, as of today, President Trump will get re-elected. Now, I don't know if the viewers of MSNBC have ever heard that. <laughs> and the reason I was trending is because the MSNBC viewers just sort of went nuts. And I want to read to you some of the reactions from the MSNBC viewers who heard me say confidently one of the few people who was right in 2016 in public. A lot of the voters were right, but there weren't too many pundits saying confidently that Trump would win in 2016. Uh, So Tom Arnold uh, tweeted at me today, and uh, he he said they used a clip of Mike Judge's genius office space to intro Dilbert Guy, and then he refers to me, Tom Arnold does, as Donald Trump apologist and world's most disingenuous human, Scott Adams. (laughs) And so I tweeted back to ask him if there's any kind of a trophy that comes with being the world's most disingenuous human. And I thought to myself, there are a lot of... I've been insulted in every way that you can be insulted. But when somebody says I'm disingenuous about the political stuff, I stop and think disingenuous in what possible way? I mean, I don't even understand the, the insult. I mean, if somebody calls me stupid or untalented, I know what that means, you know, even if I think they're not right. At least I understand it. But disingenuous? Why? Why would I be disingenuous? Because uh, saying that Trump will win or saying anything good about Trump is certainly not good for me. 
it's not good for my career. Cost me a fortune. It's not good for my social life. Cost me most of my friends. It's not good for me safety-wise because I, you know, I worry that if I go outside and I'm recognized, somebody will hit me with a big object. So why would I be lying about it? What what would what would be my motive to be disingenuous? Am I trying to lose money and, and be in physical danger? <laughs> Is it because I like the attention? I, of course I like attention, but I'm pretty sure I could have gotten it a different way. You know, Alyssa Milano got plenty of attention, and she wasn't backing Trump. So I know I can get attention. I don't need to get it this way. So, it, it, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm not mocking Tom Arnold. I'm just, um, it's jaw-dropping when you see somebody else's interpretation that you have the advantage of because it's your own mind they're talking about. I mean, this is a stranger, someone I've never met, who is evaluating in public my inner thoughts. Uh, How likely is he right about that? Well, he's not right. Uh, Because I certainly don't think of anything I'm doing as being disingenuous. I think of it as precisely the opposite by design. Uh, Here's what some other people said in the comments. When uh, These are people who saw me appear, appear on MSNBC. And keep in mind, this is the first time they've heard anybody say confidently that President Trump is likely to win re-election. First time they've heard it in months. Here were some comments. Quote, I felt physically ill when he said this. <laughs> Another one, it made me sick. Actually, it made them physically sick to hear this. Uh, Depressed the hell out of me that he made such a declaration. I hope he regrets his prediction. Notice that there's always a little bit of revenge built into the comments. They actually want me to suffer because of my prediction. Literally want me to feel pain because I have an opinion of what might happen in the future. This is really sick stuff. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, After the interview, my husband said, quote, I'm throwing Scott Adams' autographed book in the trash. Another one said, I was devastated when I heard that. Who is devastated watching television? When was the last time you were watching something on the news and it it wasn't, you know, about some terrible tragedy or something? When, When have you ever watched just some ordinary political pundit thing in the news and felt to yourself sick in your stomach or devastated or uh, here's some more of them um, I don't agree with anything said by Scott Adams he's a well poisoner <laughs> he, he shows up to create havoc I'm a well poisoner why would I want to poison a well why would I want to poison anybody's well <laughs> why would I want anything that's not generally good for the United States as a whole. Why would I want that? In what world would any of that make sense? Uh, Here's some more. That was frightening. I'm still bothered. So people were shaking. They they were just like shaking with anger and pain and stomach aches because they heard somebody who didn't look crazy say that that Trump could win re-election, and he could do it on the strength of being good for the economy and you know, good for international stuff. Here's another one. I threw up in my mouth when I heard him say that. <laughs> so, um, 
it was really, really interesting to see the, the depth of uh, the, how, how low the information is on the left. I would argue, as I've argued many times, that the people on the right, they can't avoid seeing the information from the left because it permeates everything. So whatever the, the left narrative is, everybody knows that. But the left does not see the right. And the first time they see somebody who doesn't look insane uh, with an opinion that actually is coherent, they didn't know what to do. It actually made them sick to hear a different opinion. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you got sick hearing an opinion? I think it's zero times for me. All right, let's talk about uh, the best story of the day, Jeffrey Tubin. Are you ready for this? Um, so I believe by now you've all heard the story that uh, CNN's legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin was on a Zoom call with uh, some of his professional colleagues, believed that he had turned off his camera and sound, but he had not. And then he proceeded to, uh, since this is a, a family show, let's say he decided to uh, address a package to his home address, if you know what I mean. Let's say he decided to be a, an army of one, if you know what I mean. Uh, let's just say he decided to take matters into his own hands, if you see where I'm coming from. And apparently he did that on camera with his colleagues uh, in a, uh, <laughs> aghast, apparently. And um, he was uh, asked to go on a little bit of leave of absence from his, uh, his two jobs, including CNN. So... We had a little fun with it, didn't we? But I'm going to trip you up here. Are you ready? You don't see this coming. I'm going to fully support Jeffrey Tubin. Now, I don't agree with his political opinions quite often, but the mistake he made was not a crime. Nobody was hurt. His intentions were not bad. It was a very human mistake, which is what makes it so delightfully entertaining. It was the most human of human mistakes. I can personally not dislike him or mock him for being a human being who does a very human thing that just happened to be the funniest human mistake you could possibly make in the entire world. So... Uh, I, I want to be completely clear that I don't think he should lose his job. I think he became more interesting. In other words, the first time that I hear that Jeffrey Tubin is back on CNN, and I hope they take him back, seriously, because I don't think this is any kind of a crime or anything, um, he will be more interesting. I hope that he has a sense of humor about it. I hope that his that his wife and his... I think he has a teenage daughter or something. I may be wrong about that. But imagine how horrified she was and the wife had to deal with this. And I would like to speak directly to Jeffrey Tubin's family and say, give him a break. Just, just cut him a break. He didn't want to do it. It was just a human mistake. That's all it was. So don't take it seriously. But let's have fun with it because it was the coolest human mistake anybody ever made. Now, 
I ran a little poll on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter. Of course, it's not a scientific poll, but I asked this question. I said, have you ever pleasured yourself on a Zoom or conference call? I got over 12,000 responses, and uh, here were the, the three choices. Number one, that's the best time. 38%, <laughs> 38% of respondents said that they have pleasured themselves on a Zoom or conference call because, quote, that's the best time. <laughs> Number two, the other choice was, I hate pleasure. 28% signed up for a hating pleasure, so they have not done that activity. And then 34% answered, too scared. <laughs> and I, I, of course, created the third choice so that the only reason you would not do it is you were afraid of getting caught. <laughs> so... Uh, I would not assume that this is too scientifically accurate as a poll, but 38% said that's the, <laughs> that's the best time. <laughs> uh, so, I would like to give you my confession. Are you ready for this? Uh, I'm going to confess to you in public right now. No joke. This is an actual confession. That at least once in my entire decades of life on this planet, at least once, totally true, at least once in my whole life, not recently, but at least once, I have been on a phone call and or conference call and or Zoom, and I have multitasked. I've multitasked. I would be in the 38% who answered my survey by saying, that's the best time. (laughs) But... If it's any comfort to, to Jeffrey Tubin, um, you know, and I'm just going to say, I am Spartacus. This is the closest I've ever come to an I am Spartacus moment. And I want to say, hashtag me Tubin. Hashtag me Tubin. Um, <laughs> but I would like to also add a defense to Jeffrey Tubin because I know this will come up. One of the things you're asking yourself is, is it because there was somebody on his Zoom call who was unusually attractive and that he was sort of responding to an actual person on the call, which would make it worse, right? Like You you would be extra creeped out if it was because there was somebody on the call. Now, we've seen a picture of the people on the call. Uh, somebody, Somebody was nice enough to show some public photos of the other people who are alleged to be on the call. Uh, I would rule out the possibility that he was inspired by the other people on the call. I don't want to be unkind. I'm just saying it's very unlikely that the people on the call were who inspired him. Uh, And I would also like to say that, uh, and this is for the benefit, only for the benefit of the women who are listening to this, because all the men already know this. So this is universal male knowledge that if you're a woman, you'll be hearing it for the first time. We don't really need a reason. (laughs) If you're saying to yourself, what was it that inspired Jeffrey Tubin at that very moment to engage in that activity? Ladies, we don't need a reason. (laughs) Doesn't really have to be inspired by anything. Don't really need a reason. Being bored is enough of a reason. And let me say this. 
if, if you've ever been bored on a conference call and you're a guy and you're alone and it's a really long conference call and you don't have to talk and you're just all by yourself at your home office, you've probably at least thought to yourself, is there anything else I could be doing now? <laughs> so that's just for the benefit of the women who don't know how men think. But let me read to you some of the jokes that came out of this that were just precious. Now, one of the advantages I have, and I did this intentionally, is I do this periscope early in the morning, so if there's anything that's new, I can get it while it's fresh. Because anybody who goes on, like, I feel sorry for uh, you know, the, the people on the five, because you know, they have to wait till the afternoon to talk about this. Actually, they may have talked about it yesterday. But anybody who has to wait, you know, all the good jokes are already gone. So I, I created that uh, web cartoon called uh, Robots Read News, where it's just a robot reading the news, and he never changes, so I don't have to do the art. And I can just quickly retype new words into the comic and publish it. So I, I can be the first one to use up all the good jokes before other people get to them. But people were very fast. And uh, here are some of the jokes that came out of this. Um, first of all, the hashtag, MeTubin. MeTubin is the best hashtag ever. And if you're wondering if we live in a simulation, I, I, would, like to, uh, I would like to offer this evidence of the simulation. What are the odds that the one guy who gets caught in this behavior also has a last name that sounds a little bit like the behavior. You hear me? Let's say I had been caught making the same mistake. Could anybody make fun of my last name? Would they say, yeah, he was Adamsing? Doesn't really work, right? Um, how about you know any other name? Yeah, he was, he, he was smithing. Nothing. Nothing. But if you say... He was Tubin. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the thing he was actually doing? Yeah. yeah Jeffrey was Tubin. He was Tubin, all right. So I don't know what the odds of having a last name that sounds exactly like the thing you got caught doing, but it's probably small. It's probably small. The odds are small, that is. Um, here's some more jokes. Uh, Somebody said that it was Russian disinformation and that that was not actually his penis. That, that was Russian disinformation. Um, <laughs> this, uh, I said, I used a joke that my father had taught me when I was a kid, but uh, he's, he's, I said, uh, I wonder what the market price is for a screenshot of Jeffrey Tubin trying to count to 11 on Zoom. Uh, I'll pause for a moment while you explain that joke to whoever you're with who didn't get it. Count to 11. Okay, you with me? Everybody caught up? Okay, we'll go on. Um, and then for my uh, Robots Read News comic, uh, this was the, the robot reading the news, he said, uh, Jeffrey Tubin has been yanked off of CNN for lubing his Tubin on a Zoom call. Brian Stelter, also known as the poor man's Jeffrey Tubin, I was proud of that, uh, defended his well-haired clone by hunterizing the story into oblivion. So I'm trying to create that, that verb, hunterizing. That makes us, means making a story disappear. 
Dr. Fauci advised that it will be safe to go back to shaky hands after the pandemic with, quote, everyone except Tubin. All right, so that, that was my contribution. Uh, then the Panda Tribune said uh, in a tweet, what's the big deal? The motion was sustained. Oh, no, the motion wasn't sustained. <laughs> uh, hashtag me Tubin. Uh, and here, here's the one that made me laugh the hardest. This is the, the simplest one, but it made me laugh the hardest. Somebody said he fell on his sword. I, I'm sorry, that's just, that is just hilarious. He fell on his sword. <laughs> it's so visual. Somebody else said, uh, who is this? Uh, Strayan, I think, said this. Uh, that I guess the Zoom call was uh, supposed to be an election simulation. They were talking about an election simulation. So uh, Strayan said uh, it was an, uh, he must have misheard it and he thought it was an erection stimulation. Um, and then, then Pete on, uh, on Twitter, he, he got inspired to start a, uh, a video platform. He's going to call it YouTube. <laughs> so on YouTube, uh, his new video platform, uh, he says, my new channel will give up-and-coming creators a chance to expose themselves. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> then, of course, there was a, a tweet that said that uh, Jeffrey Tubin had, uh, quote, asked for some personal time off, and I tweeted an update to the update, and I said, uh, update, he only needed 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so, so, and I would just like to offer this, this additional... Uh, pro tip, that apparently uh, the problem was that Tubin thought that his, his camera had been turned off. And um, here's my pro tip. If you need to turn the camera off, you're a rookie. Because you should have prepared before the camera came on, and uh, then you could enjoy yourself all the way through the Zoom. Uh, nobody needs to be the wiser. Now, the other thing that's hilarious about this is there are a number of articles and tweets and stories about Jeffrey Tubin, And, of course, they, they look for a, a picture that's available on you know, someplace that they can grab a photo and run with the tweet. The photos that people are running with these Jeffrey Tubin stories are so frickin' funny. Because Tubin is one of these uh, wide-eyed people where when he, he appears on TV, his eyes get bigger. And... Uh, now every photo I see, where it's you know where it's a, a video or a photo from, let's say the chest up, you can just imagine what's happening from the chest down, and his face, by coincidence, his face looks exactly like he's not wearing pants. So he's always got a, <laughs> he's got this wide-eyed face, like like whatever's going on below the camera view, is probably more exciting than whatever's happening above the chest, if you know what I mean. All right. Ah, uh, that's just the best story ever. Um, let's talk about something else. So, uh, rapper 50 Cent saw Joe Biden's tax plan, which would tax him in California at 62%. <laughs> 62%. I don't know why I'm laughing, because that, that would be my tax rate if Biden wins. 62%. And 50 Cent said, basically, screw that, uh, and he endorsed Trump. <laughs> and so I tweeted about 50 Cent's 
endorsement. I said, no one wants to be 19 cent. Now, I don't know how many people check my math, but if you tax 50 cent as 62%, you end up with 19 cent left over. So 50 cent doesn't want to be 19 cent. Um, So let's talk about the real news. So the biggest, it looks like the biggest problem for Biden that's coming out of these emails, the, the Hunter Biden emails on the laptops, is the reference to this, it says, 10 held by H for the big guy. H, we believe, is Hunter. The big guy, we believe, is his dad. And in, in the context of the email, the 10 being held was, was money. So the way the, the way the email looks, it's a little cryptic, but it sure looks as if Hunter is saying that he is going to hold some money so that you know, there's no digital record of his dad getting the money, but it would be for the benefit of his dad, the big guy. Um, and what happened by coincidence is that because the debate is scheduled on Thursday, it allowed Joe Biden to put a lid on and pretend that he's using all of that time to practice and get ready for the debate. Because he can't be in public because he'll be asked that question. Right? So he has to stay completely out of the public because even if he refuses to take questions, the video will be people shouting questions at him and him not answering. Or he might answer you know, awkwardly or, or angrily or something like that. But it is amazing to me that this story is out there and is being completely ignored by the media on the left. Now, could it be that if you ask Joe Biden, what does this mean, or you ask Hunter Biden, what does this sentence mean, maybe they have a good explanation, but they haven't offered one. What does it tell you that neither Hunter Biden nor Joe Biden have offered a denial about the laptops, a denial about the emails being accurate, haven't said a word about the truth of them, which, of course, tells you that they, they know they're accurate. Here's what uh, one of the articles on CNN said. Uh, it was talking about Trump saying that Barr should appoint somebody before the election to investigate. And this is the sentence on CNN. It said, uh, Trump says Barr must, quote, appoint somebody before election to investigate the baseless Biden claims. Baseless? What do you mean baseless? I just read you the sentence in the email on the laptop that indicates an obvious crime, which would be, if, if true, would be such a horrendous crime and abuse of office that it would change the entire nature of politics and, if not, the world. Because, you know, whoever's president in the United States has a big impact on the world. And CNN has the gigantic brass balls to say it's baseless. What would, be their, what would be their backing to say that this evidence, which might not be true, it might not be exactly what it looks like, might not be, but is it baseless? This is the base. This is the base. So they just don't report it, and they can call it baseless. Watching this happen in real time is so mind-boggling to, to see that you know, our... Uh, trusted institutions have fallen this far. 
you don't even know what to say about it because it is so beyond imaginable, really. But, of course, boosting this ridiculous stance that it's a baseless claim, uh, as you know, Clapper and Brennan and 50 other uh, ex-Intel people have uh, put out a letter in which they say, uh, let's see, what did they say? Uh, Outlining their belief that the recent disclosure of emails allegedly, allegedly belonging to Joe Biden. Really? Allegedly? Now, I get that anything could be wrong, but allegedly? Okay. Let's, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it with allegedly, because they could be fake. It's not impossible. Just unlikely, given that they haven't denied it. Um, and they said they outlined their belief that... Uh, uh, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation, even though they acknowledge in the letter that there is no evidence whatsoever that it is a Russian disinformation operation. Think about the balls of this. These are the same assholes, Klepper and Brennan, who have been caught pushing the biggest disinformation campaign in the history of the United States, I think, which is the Russia collusion hoax. They did it. They got caught. It's documented. And they're just doing it again. They're doing it again. How can they have the guts to do this? This is the most gutsy, just crazy thing that I've ever seen. Because is there anybody in the country who reads this and doesn't know that these are the same guys, literally, who just ran a coup attempt against the United States with a massive disinformation campaign against the citizens of this country, blaming Russia, and they're just going to do it again? They're just going to do it again. (laughs) I I don't know even what to say about that. My head is going blah, 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 blah. And apparently there's nothing we can do about it. Because as long as uh, the, the news treats it like it doesn't exist and the Republicans probably don't have enough power and may have even less power to do anything about it. If Joe Biden wins, it just goes away. It just goes away, and they probably get government jobs and stuff. Um, So I tweeted this this morning that got a lot of uh, pickup. I said, is it my imagination or are ex-Intel heads from the Obama-Biden administration running a, a completely obvious disinformation campaign on the American public while asking to be returned to power. That's actually what's happening. And I'm not guessing. I'm not guessing. It's, it's right in front of us. There's nothing hidden about it. And they even say in their letter that they have no evidence that it's Russia. It just looks like a Russian disinformation campaign. Do you know what else it looks like? It has... All of the, let's see, to use their words, it has all of the classic earmarks of the same fucking thing you did in 2016, 17, and 18. Do you know what classic earmarks this has? It has the classic earmarks of you fucking guys trying to overthrow the country again with a disinformation campaign against the American people. You should be in jail. This should be jailable. I don't know what crime it is, but it should be jailable. If you've ever been uh, a head of a U.S. 
intel agency, and then after you've left office, you run a disinformation campaign against the American people? That ought to be a, a, a crime. Can we not make a crime? Can, can Congress not pass a law that says you can't run a disinformation campaign if you used to be the head of the CIA or head of an intel agency? I feel like that's important. It's amazing. All right. Um, and why is it not the only headline? Can you think of every story that's happening? Of course, the election's a big deal. Coronavirus is always a big deal. But what is a bigger story than 50 intel agencies, including two heads, are running an obvious, and obvious is the key word. There's not any question about it. An obvious disinformation campaign against the American people. Why are we talking about anything else? There's nothing There's nothing going on that's on the same level as this. And, the, and CNN and the whole left will just disappear it. They'll just make it go away. And that's what's happening right in front of you. So Ice Cube, you all know Ice Cube. Uh, he's uh, decided that he was willing to talk to the Trump administration about his plan for black America. And he's also talked to some Biden people. And, of course, he's taking tremendous heat from the black community for talking to the Trump campaign at all. Because the feeling is that you shouldn't work with them because they're so bad. Uh, you're selling out your any number of names that you get called if you work with white people in power. And here's my take on that. And I tweeted that Ice Cube is demonstrating a winning strategy by putting effectiveness ahead of ego. And that his critics are demonstrating the opposite by, by putting their ego ahead of effectiveness. Ice Cube is doing um, one of the most important things that's happening today. It's one of the most important things, which is that he's, he's role modeling how to be effective. The thing that I don't think black America understands about uh, white people is that white people don't like acting like white people. I don't like dressing the way I dress because I, I would love to dress like any you know, fashionable black guy because why does it seem like black guys are all well-dressed? Am I right? And whereas I've, you know, I've got my stupid khakis on or whatever the hell I'm wearing and I just look like every other white guy in the world... I don't, want to, I don't want to act like a white guy, but I can't, I can't pull off the other looks, so I don't really have that option. Likewise, I don't want to uh, be nice to my boss just because I want to raise later. You know, there, there are a whole bunch of behaviors where uh, your average white guy is sort of sucking it up and playing along and doing what is expected and, and going with the flow. We don't like any of that. But the reason we do it the reason we sublimate our egos is because it's effective. It works. So if I, if I can manage my ego down, then I can take a job with a terrible boss and terrible conditions, but I can turn that into something good for me and my family, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower my ego, eat a, eat a pound of crap to get something done. And that's what Ice Cube is doing. He, of course, had to know that talking to the Trump administration on this topic 
was going to cause him to eat 10 buckets of crap from the people that used to be his friends a day ago. He knows it's a reputation hit. He knows it doesn't make him look cool to the people he might want to look cool to. He, he's taking a risk. It's a big one. And so he's also modeling how to succeed. Because Ice Cube, remember I've told you um, this quote that is just, just my favorite quote about success. And I, I, I'm, I always feel bad because I don't know who said it first. I just stole it from somebody. I heard it once. And, it, and it's this. If you want to be successful, figure out the price and then pay it. Figure out the price of success and then pay it. And then you'll be successful. Ice Cube figured out the price of success. So he not only did he go do the work of putting together you know, a plan, he did the work. He's not just a, a celebrity who's talking on Twitter or something. He did the work. He put together a plan. Congratulations, Ice Cube. I appreciate that. As, as a citizen and as a patriot, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Now, I might not like any of the ideas on there. I haven't looked at them in detail. But I, I certainly appreciate... You know, the, the Americanness of putting the plan together and promoting it. But he did this at great personal expense. So he took the advice. You know, you want to succeed, figure out the price, and then pay it. So Ice Cube figured out the price, which was you got to put a plan together, and you're going to have to make yourself look really, really bad because you're going to have to work with some people that other people think you shouldn't be talking to. He figured out the price, and then he paid it. So if this isn't one of the best American things going on, I don't know what is. Compare that to Robert Reich, noted uh, Democratic booster, who wrote this tweet. And just compare these two people in terms, not the people, but their strategies. This is Robert Reich. He says, when this nightmare is over, talking about you know, our current situation. We need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, all in capitals, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It would uh, erase Trump's lies, comfort those who have been harmed by his hatefulness, and name every official, politician, executive, and media mogul whose greed and cowardice enabled this catastrophe. So Robert Reich is putting together a strategy to make Americans hate each other and start a civil war. How does that work? How is that good for America? This is terrible. Don't follow this guy's example. This is the worst... This may be one of the worst things you've ever seen tweeted. And I mean that seriously. One of the worst things ever tweeted. Because this is... This is giving, it's sort of uh, making normal essentially a Nazi policy of hunting down the people who lost the election and punishing them. He's trying to normalize Nazi behavior. Now compare that to Ice Cube, who's putting a plan together to help a community that you know, needs some help, and he's working with people that are hard to work with and it's going to cost them a lot, putting his reputation, his ego on the line. Don't compare these two people. Ice Cube, A+. Robert Reich, garbage. Just garbage. Uh, this is, 
this is just embarrassingly bad for the country. On a more positive note, every now and then I will see a politician doing good things and I'll say to myself, I'm glad that person's on the case. And I say that every now and then about Ted Cruz. Uh, The context here is that, uh, I guess, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Jack Dorsey, separately they're going to testify to Congress and I guess CEOs, uh, uh, Google's CEO Sundar uh, Pichai. Pichai. Uh, So next Wednesday they're going to talk to the Senate Commerce Committee and they're going to be talking about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and all that. And Ted Cruz is sort of, you know, I would say he's leading the, uh, this issue. And w- can you think of anybody better? I mean, really. Yeah, as, as much as I just, you know, insulted Robert Reich for doing the wrong thing, Ted Cruz has, you know, argued to the Supreme Court a number of times and won. I don't think he won every one, but he's won more than he lost. And he is really, really good at communicating. He knows the law at the highest possible level, and that's what this is about. This is effectively a, a Supreme Court-y, Congress-y level thing. And aren't you glad that Ted Cruz is on the job? Just, just sort of a general compliment to Ted Cruz. Um, you know, he's not the only one who does good work, but... You know, when I see his name attached to a topic like this, I feel better because he's hyper-capable in this exact stuff. And I guess the Trump administration is going to sue Google maybe uh, maybe today, I don't know, or next week or sometime soon. Um, they're going to sue him over uh, allegations of uh, rigging search, I guess. So that's coming. You know, so here's something else on CNN, which probably explains why they get everything wrong. So there was uh, an opinion article here, uh, which they're talking about Trump, and he says his entire campaign is based on triggering a, a massive mobilization of his political base, blah, blah, blah. Talks about, talks about masks and stuff. And then it says of Trump that as president, he has, quote, a duty to keep all Americans safe. Would you agree to that? Is it Trump's job as president, as CNN says in this opinion piece, to, is it his duty to keep all Americans safe? I don't think it is. <laughs> right? Does CNN not know the job description of the president? Because I'm pretty sure that's not his job description, to keep all Americans safe. My understanding is that his job description is to balance the interests of Americans, right? And safety would be one of the interests which the president balances. If the president decides in his role as commander-in-chief to go to war to protect the country, is he trying to keep all Americans safe? No. No, he's sending the military into harm's way because all things considered... That, that's going to be our best outcome of you know, imperfect uh, options. No, it's not, the, it's not the president's job to keep all citizens safe. It is the president's job to make sure the Constitution is followed and that our interests are balanced. And one of our interests is freedom. 
One of our interests is economics. One of our interests is to lead a quality life. Safety is another interest. It's certainly not our only one. And when you see this kind of a take, that it's the president's job to keep all Americans safe, I would say to myself, that would explain why their coverage makes no sense. Because if they believe that's actually the president's job to keep us all safe, (laughs) the most impossible thing, um, then everything they said about the president wouldn't make sense because they'd be starting with not understanding his job. How can they evaluate his job performance when they clearly don't know what his job is? That's not his job. And so everything they say about the coronavirus now makes sense. If they think his job is to keep us all safe, it would make sense that you would really go hard at him for wanting to open up the economy. That all makes sense. But if you knew that his job was to balance our interests and to obey the Constitution, you would say, um, yeah, what he's doing is right on that target. The president is doing his job of balancing our interests. Now, you might say, I would have balanced them differently. That's fair. But don't, don't tell me it's not his job to balance our interests. That's, that's just wrong. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's... Coffee with Scott Adams. It was one of my favorites. Uh, I like it when the news is interesting. But all, all good things have to end, and I will talk to you tomorrow. By the way, before I go, um, many of you know I have extra content on the Locals platform, L-O-C-A-L-S, locals.com. You can go there and find me for those people who want to subscribe to that. Um, An update, Dr. Drew is now on Locals. Um, uh, Greg Gottfeld is on Locals with extra content. Uh, I believe Kat Timpf is on Locals. So Locals has taken off. And uh, uh, full disclosure, I have a a small investment in it as well. So that's all for now, um, and I will talk to you tomorrow.